0: Welcome to Canada Homeschools, the dose of inspiration and encouragement for Canadian homeschoolers. Canada Homeschools features interviews with homeschool group organizers, resource suppliers, and conversations with everyday homeschoolers just like you, all from a Canadian perspective. I'm your host, Rowan Atkinson. I'd like to thank you for joining me. Now let's get started. <laughs> In
1: 400 meters,
0: I was there yet. In 100 meters, Today, I have the privilege of introducing Stephanie Sewell to you. Stephanie is an educational coach and consultant, speaker, and children's choir director, and she facilitates several mentoring groups, one for parents whose children or teens homeschool or unschool, and one for homeschooling and unschooling teens. Welcome, Stephanie. Thank you, Rowan. I'm delighted to be here with you today. So let's start by having you tell us about your family and your
1: homeschooling journey. For sure. So I have my partner and my two kids in my immediate family. Um, My kids are now 16 and 19 years old. They both homeschooled to greater or lesser degrees all the way through for different lengths of time. Um, My son, Oliver, who's now 19, he homeschooled almost all the way through. He had a brief foray into a Montessori school for grade seven, and then he opted to go to an Ontario high school for grade 12. That unfortunately was interrupted by the arrival of COVID, but he did get four months or so until the schools were shut down. My daughter chose to go to school as of grade four, and we'll get into some of the reasons for that later in our conversation what I want to say about that as well is that there's kind of a nice story about how we got into this. I have a teaching background and I didn't really know much about homeschooling. I knew that I wanted to be a stay-at-home parent, but, and I, my mind was starting to think ahead to, well, what might school look like? Like, you know, do I want to maybe start something? Like I had these niggling little creative thoughts and I took my son to the local Park when he was about one and a half years old and he was holding my hand and he pulled me over to a group of people and I was saying, no 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 like they're having their picnic we're gonna go and do our walk and he kept pulling me over and somebody detached themselves from that group and came over and introduced herself and welcomed us to the homeschool gathering and I said you know no 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 like we're here for a walk but as a result of that conversation I joined that group and began facilitating some activities and classes for them while my son was really small and that was the place where we landed when he became school age and we started to actually think about this. So that's kind of, you know, I always say that he actually created his own path res- right of that age, as of that age that he wound up traveling for the next many years. We've always been fortunate to have some kind of homeschool community around us. Um, some years there's more kids and families, other years there are fewer. There's always been more kids for my son pure for my daughter which was one of the reasons why she wound up going to school she sort of lost her peer group because they all went to school it's interesting <laughs> that
0: you say that because my son had tons of friends uh like in homeschool group and in church and so on and my daughters always kind of got the short end of the stick and we keep kept having to like join another group just to find some friends and not all not all teenage girls, homeschooled or not, are always the greatest friends to have either. So it it was rough on them sometimes. And it's uh,
1: very difficult because that friendship, those that, that sense of community is so important. And you know, as we know, especially in the homeschool world, your friend doesn't have to be the same age as you. Mm-hmm. But the community is so important. So if you, you know, with my daughter. kids that were around who were also girls were all a year and a half two years younger than her and over time that started to feel like an issue for her and ultimately that was a lot of the reason that she she wound up going to school at grade four whereas oliver had he had this group of kind of five or six boys who were not always the same kids but it was a pretty steady group most of the way through yeah so did my son yeah 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 for sure and actually, I'll add one more thing into the kind of under the umbrella of my family and the homeschooling journey, because I think this is really important for other families to realize. I adopted and got excited about the idea of homeschooling many, many, many years before my husband did. <laughs> That's often the case in homeschool families where one partner will be really ready to go and the other is quite reluctant for Good reason our society is built around schooling not around homeschooling it's unknown and that there's fear associated with that and we want to make sure we're doing the best for our kids so i want to just like throw out a little tidbit that one of the things that helped my husband and me stop going in circles in our conversation about whether or not to homeschool was we started writing emails to each other about it so in the email you could take the time to formulate all your thoughts you could provide references and then the person receiving the email could take the time to really absorb the thoughts and consider their response. And that shifting of how we communicated about it made a huge difference for us.
0: Thank you so much for sharing that. Um, I was on board before my husband was homeschooling as well. Partly I was homeschooled some of the time, so it was a normal way of life for for me. Uh, I didn't plan to do it, but then as soon as I gave birth, I did, basically <laughs> but um but we've actually found that in our marriage and partnership is that sometimes writing things down or as you say email it kind of takes the emotions out of it and the reactions out of it and yeah. then you can uh, kind of more calmly have a conversation and I know um when I had four kids six and under and so that could be a bit stressful and you know, you could feel, um, that you, it wasn't understood all the things that you were doing, for example. And I remember writing, uh, writing it down and explaining like all of the different roles and all of the different things that even careers, you know, chauffeur cook, nurse, et cetera, et cetera. And, And if you had to pay me to do all of these things, you should be paying me like hundreds of thousands of dollars. So, you know, but he loved it because it wasn't me being upset with him. I was rationally like explaining it out in writing. And so we found that to be a very helpful tool as well. So. I'm glad you mentioned that if someone takes nothing else away that this could be the thing in our conversation that can be a game changer for them but I know we have lots more though for you to share and for <laughs> yeah, <laughs>
1: to don't don't stop listening I'm now I'm not
0: I'm not limiting I'm not limiting you um, so why don't we talk a bit about your education and your educational experiences that have led you into what you are doing today as an independent Coach and consultant. And with that, go ahead and share how you help students and their families in your coaching and consulting
1: practice. Sure, thank you. So at school, I was the quiet, shy, rule follower, never said boo, was terrified of getting in trouble, excellent student, compliant, very much in my shell. I didn't show Stephanie to the world. And I thought that was fine. That's what's valued in our schools, largely. And when I was in grade 11, I transferred to to Canterbury High School, for those of you who know Ottawa. So it's an arts program within a regular high school. And then I started to show myself a little bit. Looking back now, I realized that what happened was when I got to Canterbury, suddenly I was able to see value in what was of interest to me, which was music. And I was in a community at the school with other people who were interested in music and saw value. I was no longer like the geeky music kid. It was, I'm a musician. My education setting was starting to be real in terms of what I wanted to learn and what I valued. That continued on into university where I studied music. And again, small department, everybody who was there was there for a similar reason. They valued that. It was was legit to be into music and to care about that. And in that space of safety and acceptance, I really started to step out. I joined the student council. Like if somebody had told me that I was gonna do that in grade nine, there's no way I would have believed them. This was massive. I started a concert series. I connected with the profs to ask them to be the judges for who got to audition to go into the series. All of these things, these initiatives, these the real me was starting to come out. And I didn't even know that that was me until I started getting into this. I can see it now because I can look back on it and see that in the subsequent years, As I settled into the community that I live in and I found that same safety and value of my values, again, I started to step out. I co-created a toy library. I co-created a play group. I advocated for the playgrounds not to be turned into, you know, metal and plastic, 10 minutes and you're bored (laughs) types of playgrounds. All of that started to come out and it came out once my school experience started to be connected with who I was. That's amazing. Uh, So now that I know words like de-schooling, I can say that it took me a long time to de-school myself. It sort of started at Canterbury. It continued at university. And it really, after university, I spent a couple of years really floundering and being very lost. And I recognize that now as like an intensive de-schooling time. And from that, I started to emerge really, and start to, you know, create myself and what I wanted to be as an adult. So that connects, again, into what I'm doing now, because <clears throat> all along, I've had a really strong connection with kids. I've always loved volunteering in kids programs babysitting I would always be drawn to the kids and I've always been able to have a really good connection with them they've always liked me and that was you know when I was a teenager that sort of looked one way when I was in my 20s a different way and as I started to move into the teaching profession in school I was a teacher that kids wanted to have because there was that connection and so as I started to learn more about de-schooling and really thinking about what education is what life is I started to realize that I was advocating for kids to be able to be more themselves, more autonomous, to be more self-directed, even while I was in the context of teaching in a classroom. You know, my colleagues were all sending homework home and the school direction was we had to send homework home. But I would send it home with a note that said, you don't have to do this. And I was comfortable even as a young teacher saying, you don't have to do this because I think it's more important that your child get to spend the evening that they need to spend. If there's homework in there, fine. But if that means they're going to go play outside, that's great and they should get to do that. So I started to realize that I was advocating for something that the system that I found myself in wasn't necessarily advocating for. And I decided to leave teaching because I just realized it wasn't working for me anymore. I wasn't aligned with it. So again, I spent a year of being kind of lost, trying some different things. I tried some writing. I even interviewed for a job in the government, like a desk job. And then I became pregnant with my first child. And that kind of set me on the path of remaining in my connection with wanting to be with kids. And being a stay-at-home parent. And then I've already sort of alluded to how it all kind of grew from there. So, so I think back again to when I was teaching in the school system, um, my default was really what is good for each child in this classroom. I felt I've always just felt like I'm connected heart to heart with each kid that I'm with, be it in classroom settings, in my choir now, and I see and want to do and create what is best for each of them. That that was more important than what this was supposed to on high. So as I moved into being a parent, I had that strong sense of looking at this child and what makes sense for them. You know, my both of my kids were at a, a farm Waldorf-based kind of preschool. Like it wasn't a school, but it was like an experience. The program was a full day long. My son, even at three and a half, four years old, was able to say, I don't want to be here for a full day. It's too long. So I went and picked him up at lunch. And that was always just the way that we've done things. As I lived my life in that way and, and parented in that way, I started to find that other parents were coming to me to seek guidance. Sometimes it would be about school decisions or it would be about, you know, what's, what to do with a child for some other context. And it was those years of just starting to realize that people were coming to me that kind of planted the seed for me to do this professionally. And so now in my work, um, what I do is I really help parents, teens, and children to navigate their education and what that looks like for them in a way that aligns with their life. So many of my clients are leaving the school system because they just can't anymore. You know, we have this term, this diagnosis of school refusal now. And so this is, you know, people who, kids who feel I, I just can't be in that classroom. I can't be sitting still that long. I, whatever it is that that fuels their can't, it's to help those families see that they can leave school and live without school. And what does that look like for them? How to feel not scared in that, how to connect with the community, how the parents can de-school themselves so that they can be okay with all of this. And so with many of those families, I'm, I'm helping in that transition. And with others, it becomes a longer term coaching which is really exciting to get to work especially with the teens where they're reimagining their lives you know they're having to go through a period of letting go of what school was and what aspects of themselves were lost or traumatized or what anxieties were being created as a result of their school experience to let that go and then start moving into opening themselves up it's like a rebirth or a blossoming and it's really cool to get to be a part of their lives as a mentor as they navigate that journey
0: they bring out their individual gifts and strengths and things that fire them up just like you always wanted to in the system but you were in a box and you couldn't do it to the best of your ability like exactly
1: exactly yeah and to help them see their what's inside them and to let it come out and to to help them and their parents because if I'm working with a teen I'm also in connection with their parents because it's we're not ships sailing alone in the ocean you know we we live in a family yes. and parents and, have a
0: lot of expectations
1: for their children yes in their education and sometimes in spite of the parents best intentions those expectations get in the way of the teen or child being able to realize themselves as self-directed learners and that's where it's really I'm really grateful that I'm able to be in contact with both the teens and the parents and to support them both and help them to see what's happening. Because the process of de-schooling is very different for parents than it is for kids or teens. And so providing some translation there can be really helpful for everybody.
0: And so while you've been doing that, you've been fostering connections, which I think during this time um, that we've all been through, it's of the utmost importance. So I thought at this point, I would give you an opportunity to talk about the choir that you direct because it's been going for a long time and you were able to pivot very well during COVID. So I think that would be so interesting to our listeners and really it will underscore the importance of community and connection and give us an example of how it can work. So my mom actually has been the administrator of the Guelph Youth Singers for many years. She just retired. So I know a little bit about choir and how it can pivot during COVID and all that. But could you tell us about the choir and how it has fostered connections?
1: Yeah, so I started the choir when my kids were five and eight years old. And I did it partly, I'm realizing now as I say this, you know, there's an example of how I was able to be me. And that strength of like, I see a gap and I can start something to fill that gap that's an example of that and part of my what part of what I wanted to do there was bring together schoolers and non-schoolers because we live in a relatively small community there's the french school the english school and then there's the few homeschoolers and so i saw this as a chance to create a community that wasn't connected to the schools and of course to allow the opportunity for kids to sing together and music and that's you know a big really important thing for me So the choir has always focused on inclusion and community. We, as a group, strive to sing well. We learn about music. We practice to get things better. But at the heart of it, and more important than all of that product, is what are we together? Who are we together? An example of how that plays out is... um, you know, early on, we had a few experiences where we had a concert and our song just wasn't ready. So I was like, well, I'm really sorry. Like, we just haven't learned the whole thing or we haven't quite got that harmony. We can't do it in the concert. And I really didn't feel comfortable with that. And somewhere out of my brain emerged the phrase, the, the word sharonce. So I said, we have performances where we perform something that is ready and this is a shareance. So we're going to share with our audience, who is our friends, family, and community, what we've been up to. And we would introduce the song as, we haven't quite got the harmony in this part yet, so we're not going to do the harmony. Or we haven't quite learned the third verse, so we're going to stop at the end of the second verse. Stay tuned for the next concert, then you'll get to hear the whole thing. So really valuing that sense of, we're not aiming for perfection, or high quality only, we're aiming to share what we're doing. So it's about the
0: process. The process is just as important
1: as the product. Absolutely. And valuing that. Sometimes we would share something and we would drop it. Because it was like, do you guys, like? how are you feeling with the song? Do you want to keep going with it? Or are we kind of done? I would ask them that. And sometimes we would say, we're just done. Like for whatever reason, you know, maybe it just wound up being more difficult than we expected. Or we just don't as a group love it that much and we're ready to set it aside. So the sharing of it was very much the, yeah, yes, as you say, the process. In the choir as well, I'm always inviting the kids to bring their full selves to it. So we'll often say, okay, here's a song where we could have some instrumental accompaniment. Who plays an instrument? And we'd find a way to, to include that absolute beginner ukulele player. We'd get them in there with the C chord. <laughs> <laughs> or one one boy loved to whistle he was he was in one song we had there was a flute part he whistled it so always it's really bringing, hard to whistle
0: in performance
1: i know but it's he it's really it. hard to do that amazing yeah so he um so it was bringing the fullness of who each of them is into the choir another example of it is one boy said oh, i love queen i'd love to do it us to do a song by Queen and our accompanist heard that and said oh why don't I see if I can arrange something so that became an arrangement that she created based on his input and they they collaborated on that arrangement so again there's an example of bringing people right in and making them connected in very um individual ways Again, collaboration that rises out of us remembering that we're part of a community. Uh, we have Ian Tamblin in our community, who's a Canadian singer-songwriter who was just uh, named to the Order of Canada, and he's always been a big supporter of the choir. And with him, we co-created a song that was performed at our Remembrance Day ceremony, and is going you was know, going to go into the museum of the war museum. They have an archives of performances and so on. And it was also included on his most recent album. He found a way through the pandemic to use technology to have the kids sing on his album with him. So these are some of the things that here's a small community choir that isn't aspiring to be the best choir in the country. And the experiences that the kids are getting out of that are setting them up to decide to join a choir that does aspire to be the best choir in the country, decide to, like, recognize that they can collaborate in the composition of something and get involved in that, recognize that they can have something they love to do, like whistling, and find a way for it to bring value in a context where you wouldn't normally think of it bringing value. They recognize that they can say, I'm done with something, I don't want to keep learning this, Mm -hmm. we're done. One of the things we do as well is the in a concert, the songs are always introduced by the singers. A lot of kids just said, I'm not going to do that. Too scary. Speaking into a microphone in front of an audience, forget it. And all it takes is one concert for them to see the others do it. And they volunteer. Sometimes they even volunteer during the concert. They'll watch some other people doing it and they'll come to me on the stage and say, I want to do that too. So there's something about the safety of a community and event that is so focused on connection that it allows people to step out of themselves. One girl wrote to me after the concert and said, thank you for giving me that chance. I can't believe I spoke in a microphone in front of an audience. So when the lockdown started, it was a big deal because we were going to lose our choir. Because I already used Zoom for work, I knew how to, for my consulting and coaching work, I knew how to use Zoom. I had a Zoom account. So I just said, let's just meet on Zoom. We'll see what happens. After I said that, I learned that you can't sing at the same time on Zoom. This was back when nobody really knew that. Especially if you have rural internet. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so the kids came together and we used that as a chance just to have a conversation. We talked about how they were feeling, what was going on. I invited them to bring more of themselves to the group. Do you want to introduce us to your pets? Who's your favorite stuffy? You know, some of them were offering to show what their bedroom looked like or, you know, and others weren't, and that was totally fine. Some were on screen, some were off screen, but really bringing their full selves into that, asking them, what are you looking forward to? Acknowledging that this is a tough time and how are you managing it? And then we just kept on going with it we realized that we couldn't sing together in the same way we had done, but we started doing chain singing. So one person would sing a line, the next person would sing the next line and so on. And bizarrely, it actually kind of feels like you're singing together. We also decided that there was something called chaos singing, which is when everybody unmutes and sings at the same time. It's chaotic. So we just called it chaos singing and they love it. So that whole, and then we also wound up doing concerts on Zoom. So we would do some chain songs we would do some chaos singing because we're sharing what we do and anybody who wanted to do their own performance or their own share could pre-record a video or do it live and we had there was the first time we did it one girl she recorded she had her mom record a video of her like swinging in the tree and that was her share she shared part of herself others performed you know, violin pieces or singing or whatever it was so always through that it's bringing them together and another this is an aside a beautiful highlight or added benefit of these concerts online is that the grandparents could come in one concert we had people from Spain Romania the west coast of Canada France all there in our concert with us it was really cool That's so fun. there was yeah so the opportunity to connect in a different way started to emerge.
0: And a lot of grandparents have been very isolated during the lockdowns too. So that would give them something to look forward to and to feel connected
1: yeah. as well. Yeah, and a way, f- and then they can talk to their grandchildren about that concert in a completely different way because they shared it instead of just getting to hear about it afterwards, as would normally be the case. So <clears throat> throughout this, we've always kept the choir going even though it looks different. And this, as of the fall, we started doing it as a hybrid indoor-outdoor, sorry, not indoor-outdoor, outdoor online. So I didn't want the kids to come together and have to sing with masks on. I decided that we would sing either outdoors or if it was like freezing rain or something like that, we'd be online. And we were outdoors all but two rehearsals in the fall. We had a concert outdoors at the end of December, you know, halfway through December. And we'll continue, we'll do the next few online because it's really cold right now. And then as soon as we can start getting outside again, we will. So it's all worked out. And it's at the basis of that is connection in the community is the most important thing. And we'll modify, compromise, get creative with the rest of it as we need to.
0: That's inspiring. I Thank hope, you. I, hope I someone, feel inspired by it. Because <laughs> maybe there's someone listening who you know, has been seeing the obstacles and maybe you shared how you guys have um, just maintained that connection and maybe it's given them even some practical ideas for how they can connect and maybe resume what what has been paused or um, just to really encourage them that it can be done too.
1: Yeah, there've been a lot of uh, cross Canada or cross Ontario, Quebec, coral Zoom calls And so I have shared that and it's, you know, and some other choirs are doing that as well. Often with a different focus, like the focus remains on, but how do we get, you know, teaching all of the elements that the choir would normally teach. And, you know, I guess that's where I used to think of my choir role as being quite separate from my education role, but the more I do both, the more I see that they're just the same, you know, for me, the choir is, and it's a vehicle for learning and, and, becoming ourselves as people and that's what education is too and so if the choir is in a situation where the usual vehicle which is singing together in a room and working on pitch and harmony if that part of it can't work well we can still express ourselves as people and connected communities in other ways so that that, that's a really
0: good point because i have friends who have a Kind of a musical theater company. Like they take kids and teach them the music and the dancing and the singing and they do performances. But if you talk to them, it's not actually about that excellence of music, even though they do come out with an excellent performance at the end of it. It's more about just the transformed lives and confidence of the children that they work with and how they can express themselves and grow uh, yep. as people. And, and that's really what makes them get up and do it day in and day out way more than the precision of the music and, you know, their own personal and extensive musical talents, degrees and abilities, right? It's about the
1: kids. Absolutely. And I think that's, it's so important and it's so important to recognize that we need that. And we need, you know, the choirs that are the very elite choirs that are really going for that because as a, you know as self-directed learners as who we all are as human beings we can choose to to want to go very deeply into that that field and you know I mean that's why I did a degree in music like I wanted to really learn excellent piano technique and be able to play really difficult pieces really well. I wanted my teachers to give me that guidance. I chose that. So We need to, as people who are providing opportunities for kids, I think it's really helpful to be able to say, okay, there's lots of, like, same thing with gymnastics programs, right? Like, we need the gymnastics programs that are really helping people who might want to go to the Olympics, but we also need the gymnastics programs that are just letting, or not just, but are letting people be in a gymnastics facility and have that fun exploration of their bodies once a week. We need both.
0: Yes, I agree with that. And sometimes you don't know if something is for you or not for you until you try it.
1: Yep. And so when when we have too much of the exclusive like ex- excellence seeking programming, which I think is a tendency in our in our world right now, that we're, we're we have more of that. So many people don't get to try it because you know they didn't like thinking about the skiing you know you have kids are such expert skiers at such young ages you know if you're 10 and you decide you want to learn to ski and do it competitively it's very difficult to catch up and so we really always just want to keep on having these opportunities for people to ski really well and learn the technique they want to learn to serve their goals at any age
0: Yeah, Uh, we had our children have piano lessons, all of all four of them, and some liked it better than others, and some were better at it than others, and so on. And when they didn't want to practice, because that's the character building part of piano lessons, I would say, you know, having these lessons will give you the opportunity, if you so choose, to learn music theory, to be able to play an instrument, and if you choose not to then you have a choice but if you don't have these lessons you actually don't have a you kind of don't have a choice it's an automatic no unless you decide to take lessons later so yeah you're all taking piano you're going to learn the fundamentals and then what you do with it past a certain point that's up to you and uh, now my son is he's a drummer um and he likes to write write music and uh you know one of my daughters is plays many instruments and then I have a couple the one that got all the Kiwanis awards and everything doesn't really do anything with it and (laughs) so it's up to them but at least I feel I gave them that musical foundation um, that they could springboard you know onto if they so chose but
1: yeah it's so interesting because I was in spite of the fact that I have a Bachelor of Music degree in piano performance, I was always the kid who never practiced. I remember having my piano books on my knees in the car on the way to my lesson practicing. And I think that that held me back in some ways in that my technique wasn't as strong as it might have been. I had There was a bit of catching up or something to do with that. But my, my motivation was intact and carried me all the way through. So it's kind of, it's an interesting thing. And I've, a couple of years ago, I had, I took on some piano students with the the goal of doing it in a kind of unschooling way. And it was really interesting to see what came out of that. One was a, a fairly high level, and he really, he wanted all the technique. He was like asking, okay, how do I, how do, how do I practice technique in order to allow me to play this passage in this like Chopin? whatever and another one was he he would say like okay I'm really gonna I want to learn this song and okay like download it figure it out whatever whatever and the next week he'd be like no I want to learn this song and he was constantly flitting from one thing to the other and that's what he wanted and his learning to an outside observer might look like he was just kept starting and stopping and like not following through but the seed that followed through from every one of those mom- those once those pieces that we looked at was really neat and so it'll be interesting to see how he moves you know 10 years now it would be interesting to look back and see what his musical journey has been because now he's onto a different instrument and so that's very cool my
0: my best pianist (laughs) she probably practiced the least because I think it also came naturally but the reason why she kept winning all the festival awards is because She may not have had perfect technique, but if she played like a Christopher Norton song that was jazzy, and she really if she really liked it, then she would put so much like passion and pizzazz into it that the judges would be hooked, regardless of whether her best friend had perfect technique and perfect timing and not a whole lot of feeling in her
1: being playing. So there's a great example of very, doing, doing what we're passionate about, right? She was and very how-
0: motivated on those yep. songs and not so motivated on some of the other ones.
1: Yeah.
0: And Amazing. the way her brain works, she has to be inspired to be motivated to do something. Yep. Which isn't always. It <laughs> can't I think always it's- happen because the dishes are not that inspiring, but... <laughs> <laughs> For piano songs, that's how it worked anyway.
1: Yeah, def- the inspiration has to come from somewhere else when it comes
0: to dishes. <laughs> yes. Having something to eat off of is always good. Yeah. So there's a lot more we can talk about, and I know we're going to have another episode with you because you have so much great stuff to share, but let's talk about your tagline. So you have a tagline, and that is own your learning, own your life. Can you summarize what you mean by that and share that concept with our listeners?
1: Absolutely. So to me, what that means is when we, if we think about learning our education and owning it as meaning, it comes from us, it belongs to us. It's, it's, It aligns with us, with who we are. If we can feel that and do that with our learning, then we can do that with our life. Because If we go through, you know, 12 plus years of school and we're always doing what we're being told to do, learning what we're being told to learn, when we finish our institutionalized schooling experience, we kind of get to that, like, what do I do now? And that's where I was after I finished my degree. Okay, well, I know how to, I chose to go into music. Yes, like I know how to follow the curriculum of the music degree. When I was finished with that, I was completely lost. I had no idea what to do with five hours of practice a day and these fingers that could play so much. And we see that time and time again. I think we see it often um, not only when people finish university and are kind of lost, we see it when people retire. You know, if if we look at somebody who's gone to school, to university, and then they've gotten a job, And they've stayed in that job or similar jobs until retirement. Then there's that thing like, what on earth do I do with my time? I don't know how to own my life. I don't know how to intrinsically motivate things. And of course, it's never 100%. Like we always know how to do some stuff for ourselves and all of that. But when I think, when I was walking in the forest for many days in a row, trying to think, okay, what is my tagline? What's at the heart of what I'm doing here? That's what it boiled down to is I want to help people, kids, parents, teens. I want to help them feel that they own it so that they can make choices that reflect that. Start with your learning and then move into your life. We all did it when we were babies because nobody told us it was time to start walking and set a curriculum for that day. We just started like pulling ourselves up, crawling, talking. All of these things we do because we own it. Something in us knows that it's time. And we start, start trying it. And then the people who are around us, loving and supporting us, help us as we need it. And if we can continue with that kind of approach, we might choose to go to school. We're owning that experience. Then we know what it is to choose for ourselves and to therefore be able to choose to do something different as well. That's what I really hope for, for people and what I try to facilitate.
0: Thank you. And and I feel like it can be obviously encapsulated in your tagline, but also earlier when you were sharing about your journey, there was just a little phrase that stuck out at me. You said, what is education? What is life? And you were almost making a synonym out of education and life and i and i think that's another way to sum up
1: what what you're saying totally like it's you know life is learning learning is life i i don't know who said that i, I know it's not me but i love that <laughs> and it's true because we it's it's so artificial this idea that you go to school to get an education and you start when you're this old and you end when you're this old. And of course it's not, you know, we're not hundred percent living that you don't learn anything until you get to school, but we're, we're more and more thinking that way. Or the learning that happens during the preschool years is described as being preschool. It's in preparation for kindergarten, kindergarten readiness, like all of this. You know, you send a six months to day six month old to daycare and they're already doing stuff to prepare them for school. And if we can take that back and say, no, we're just living life. And school is a tool that provides daycare, that's handy. A lot of kids hang out.
0: Are feeling it, feeling the lack of the daycare right now in the
1: school. Exactly. Yep. Yep. And a lot of kids hang out at schools. So if you want to hang out with kids. It's pretty convenient. And you can learn stuff there too. There's some adults around who really care. But there's a whole bunch of other stuff that goes along with school, usually. And we need to make conscious choices about that, whether that's something that we want or not. And I dream of a day that schools are simply that. Places where kids can be looked after. Kids hang out there. Awesome adults who love kids are hanging out there. And we can just go and take from it what we need and give what we need to give to the community for the community to flourish. And that's what you get with things like Sudbury, like Sudbury schools. That's what unschooling school, the unschoolingschool.com organization here in Ontario, what they're seeking is that kind of notion of anybody being able to engage with school building, the school facilities, everything that school offers being able to engage with it in a way that makes sense for you and starting to seek that creativity and flexibility. I think that's awesome. Cause what an amazing thing that it's just great. It's the best of both worlds. Yeah. And yeah. why not just make that one world? It, everybody will be served. Everybody will be served. You know, how many teachers are frustrated because they're, they don't get to teach what they want to, or they, they're rushed to get through the curriculum or, you know, all of those frustrations. Well, if that can be, if there can be more flexibility built into that, if they can honor the needs of their kids and their classes, which is why most of them joined the teaching profession in the first place, what would we create if we could really allow their professional um, inherent capabilities to flourish?
0: That would be amazing. Stephanie where can people find you if they want to connect with
1: you they can find me through Facebook and LinkedIn and my website is up and it's in the background I'm working on improving it and making it more up to date so you can definitely find me through that my email address is there um, and I'm what I do offer for anybody who's interested in working with me is I offer a free 20 minute call as a getting to know you kind of a call and just to see whether we feel like we're a good fit Um, and as you mentioned at the outset from there I do work one-on-one with families I also have a parents group and a team group that are ways for people to to have that support guidance and mentoring that I offer.
0: That's great well I do look forward to talking to you again very soon but thank you so much for joining us today on the Canada Homeschools podcast.
1: My pleasure thank you so much for inviting me.
0: Happy homeschooling, Canada. The Canada Homeschools podcast is brought to you by Headphone History, your complete Canadian elementary history curriculum. Headphone history comes with audio lessons, stories, and legends, and a reproducible workbook designed for the whole family. Go to headphonehistory.com. It's important for us to learn our history. Thank you so much for listening. You can find helpful links and show notes for this episode at our website, canadahomeschools.com. Please share this podcast with your friends and leave a rating and positive review on your podcast provider. This will help others find their dose of inspiration and encouragement. Happy homeschooling Canada. <laughs>